There's a word from a popular song that is recorded in a prayer that go as this. Bring him peace, bring him joy. He's young, he's only a boy. You can take, you can give. Let him be, let him live. If I die, let me die, but let him live. Bring him home. Many of you may recognize those words as the song, Bring Him Home from Les Mis, as Jean Valjean pleads with the Lord on behalf of a young man named Marius, who's uh, gone to fight in this revolution. And Marius is in love with his daughter. And uh, Jean Valjean is pleading with God that God would spare Marius's life, that he would be with him, that he would keep him safe, that he would bring him home, that he would live life with his daughter in happiness, and that he would have hope. I'm sure many of us have uh, prayed similar prayers, if not even listened to this song and experienced the hope that comes with it. As we've had uh, loved ones, uh, children, parents, grandparents, great friends who have gone through difficult health situations or, or great tragedies in life, that we've interceded on behalf of them and asked that God would resolve their situation. When all hope seems to be gone, we tend to turn to the Lord. And this morning we're going to meet a, an official who does the same exact thing. His son is left at home and he comes to Jesus looking for hope looking for help when all things are lost. I want to invite you this morning to turn to John chapter 4. In a moment, we're going to watch a video that helps give us a picture of what happened in this event. But I want us to all remember those feelings of desperation as we look at the circumstances around us and say, Lord, what is going on when we can't seem to make ends meet in our mind and we turn to Jesus and we plead with him as our last resort to hope? Let's look at this video and see uh, what is going on in our passage today. After spending two days there, Jesus left and went to Galilee, for he himself had said, prophets are not respected in their own country. When he arrived in Galilee, the people there welcomed him because they had gone to the Passover festival in Jerusalem had seen everything that he had done during the festival. Then Jesus went back to Cana in Galilee, where he had turned the water into wine. A government official was there whose son was sick in Capernaum. When he heard that Jesus had come from Judea to Galilee, he went to him and asked him to go to Capernaum and heal his son who was about to die. None of you will ever believe unless you see miracles and wonders. Sir, come with me. Before my child dies. Go. Your son will live. The man believed Jesus' words and went. (laughs) 
On his way home, his servants met him with the news. Your boy, he's going to live. He asked them what time it was when his son got better. It was one o'clock yesterday afternoon when the fever left him. Then the father remembered that it was at that very hour when Jesus had told him. Your son will live. So he and all his family believed. This was the second miracle that Jesus performed after coming from Judea to Galilee. Can you imagine being in that circumstance? Your kid's at home on the verge of death and you get up and you, you leave home and you go to find this man to ask him if there's any way that he could heal your son. Can you imagine the, the stress, the, the anguish that this father must have been in, the, the uncertainty of what was going on and what would certainly happen to his son? I can't even imagine what that would feel like. Having a new baby boy at home, I, I, I pray that that's never a feeling and a, a circumstance that I have to be in. Yet here we meet this official who, who goes to Jesus when all things seem at loss and he's looking for some sort of hope, some sort of chance that Jesus might heal his son. And so I want to uh, give a little bit of a backdrop to this uh, official that we're meeting this morning. The video did a great job of portraying this man as a, a Roman official. He was likely a Jewish man, though, who worked in the court of Herod Antipas, meaning that this guy would have been very wealthy. He would have had lots of cash on hand. He would have had great influence. And yet here he finds himself with a son that's sick that his money hasn't been able to help. His influence can't heal his son. And here he is looking for some sort of answer some sort of hope in this desperate crisis as he's facing the potential loss of his own child, he turns to Jesus. And so we see in this uh, passage, this Roman official comes to Jesus and, and uh, after last week's sermon, the miracle where Jesus turned the water into wine at a wedding feast in Cana, Jesus had gone down to Jerusalem with his disciples for the Passover feast. And while he was down there, he performed many signs and wonders, John chapter 2 tells us, and uh, many people from Galilee had gone with him. And so uh, right before our passage this morning in, in John chapter 4, verse 45, John tells us that when Jesus returned to Galilee, the Galileans welcomed him. They welcomed Jesus back uh, because they were so excited about all the signs and wonders that they'd seen him perform uh, just days prior when he was in Jerusalem. And so here this Roman official comes up saying, hey, I've got a sick son. And I, what I want you to picture with me for a second is as this guy approaches Jesus, there's a whole crowd of Galileans around him just ooing and awing at, at who Jesus is and, and what he's doing and, and wondering what are the signs and wonders that Jesus is going to perform next. Is he going to make water into wine again? What, what's he going to do? What are these wonders, this miracle man in a sense? Now, earlier in the book of John, John tells us that Jesus understood what was in the heart of men. So he didn't give himself to those who were in Jerusalem. I mean, he didn't uh, just perform many, many, many signs and wonders. He, he stopped. And so here we find this man who comes to Jesus uh, in this desperate situation and says, my son is sick, please come and heal him before he dies. And what is Jesus' first response? 
His response is, unless you see signs and wonders, verse 48, you will not believe. And Jesus is talking to more than just this Roman official. Jesus is talking to all the Galileans who are in the presence, saying, listen, to all of you guys, unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. And so Jesus' first response is a rebuke. And that's an important thing for us to note here. Not that Jesus is coming down on this guy, but he's, he's identifying what the real purpose of this miracle is. Now I want to present to you that as we look at this, this miracle and this passage this morning, we have one story with two parallel threads that go through it. And those threads are, on the one hand, we have a sick son, and Jesus is healing this son, and he's going to make him well and extend his life. He's going to preserve him. He's going to heal him miraculously. And this is a spectacular event, something that should cause us awe and wonder as we look at the power of our Savior, Jesus Christ. And on the other hand, the other thread uh, throughout this story is this, uh, this father and his faith. That Jesus is working kind of throughout the whole thing. And, and I believe that Jesus' rebuke here in verse 48 tells us that this second thread is really what it's all about. Yes, Jesus is going to heal this man's son. And that's spectacular and exciting and, and it draws our attention. But kind of behind the scenes, the whole time through, Jesus is going to be conquering doubts in this official's heart. Now, this morning, I want to address some of these doubts, and as Jesus uh, jumps into this uh, response to this man, I want us to remember that the signs and wonders that Jesus is performing are meant to cause us to have awe. They're meant to instill belief in our hearts. As a matter of fact, in the Old Testament, in Numbers 14, 11, God responds to Moses and he says to him, how long will this people despise me? How long will they not believe in me in spite of all the signs that I have done among them? In spite of all the signs I've done among them. Now, God had performed great signs to bring the nation of Israel out of Egypt. He had performed great signs in their midst as they wandered in the wilderness. And now he's giving this response to Moses as they're uh, evaluating entering into the promised land. How long will they despise me? See, there are other places in the Old Testament where people seem to be uh, condemned or judged based on not having faith in light of seeing signs and wonders. And here Jesus is taking us to a deeper level, as he commonly does, where he says, listen, it's not just about signs and wonders. Of course, you'll have faith with signs and wonders, but unless you have them, you're not going to believe. And it's as if Jesus is calling us and calling this man and the Galileans who are there to a deeper level of faith, a deeper level of believing that says, if, even if there aren't signs and wonders, will you believe in who I am? As if to say, listen, Jesus is saying that he is the sign. Colossians says that, that he is the image of the invisible God. Jesus himself has become the sign by which we must believe that he is the Son of God. That he is the Son of God. So we're going to look at some doubts this morning that this official likely brought with him as he comes to this interaction with Jesus to ask Jesus simply to please come heal my son who is on the verge of death. And the first one of these doubts this man has comes simply in Jesus' response. Right? So Jesus had said, unless there's signs and wonders, you will not believe. And the official response to Jesus right away is as if to say, no, 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 listen, I, I do believe. I do believe that you can do this. And he says, sir, come down before my child dies. Come down before my child dies. And so Jesus responds to him and says, go, your son will live. 
Now, can you, can you wrap your head around that? Because that's not the most exciting response. You're, you're thinking signs and wonders, and you're saying, okay, just go, your son's going to live. That seems kind of anticlimactic here. But this man is forced here as Jesus begins to conquer the doubt of his precepts to this man. As he uh, teaches him, Jesus is going to teach him that believing in Jesus takes him at his word. Believing in Jesus takes him at his word. So Jesus says, listen, go home, your son's going to live. And this man at that moment had an opportunity to pause and he could have either stood there and fought with Jesus and plead with him and say, listen, I am not going until you come with me to my house and heal my son. Or he can take Jesus at his word that his son's going to live and he goes home. Now I want to give you some perspective on going home. The journey from Cana to Capernaum was somewhere right around 20 miles. It would be similar to walking from our Aurora campus to our Plano campus. And this man is, is this, walking that distance. You know, for us, that's a 20-minute drive. But he's walking home, which is a good day's journey. And we don't know if he stayed in Cana for the rest of that day and left the next morning. We don't know if he got a head start and stopped somewhere overnight. But what we do know is that he was almost home, or he was still on the road, when his servants met him and said, listen, your son is, is recovering it was the next day. And so as, as this man left Jesus' presence, he's in this circumstance where at this point he doesn't know how legit Jesus is. He doesn't know. That there's a big risk for this guy on this, at this time. He could get home to discover that his son has died. And he's spent the last couple days of his son's life going and seeking some chance miracle worker to come and help him out. He could get home, and in a better circumstance, his son's just not better at all. And he's thinking to, he could think to himself, this Jesus, he's, he's a fraud. But we praise God because this man receives good news that his son's been healed. And so I want to talk just briefly about trust. Jesus gave this man an opportunity to trust him. And I want to be clear here that as we dive into this, Jesus is doing a work in this man's heart. This isn't just a big focus on this Roman official saying, hey, look at him and how he conquered his own doubts. But I want us to look and see, how is Jesus conquering his doubts? How does Jesus overcome his questions? How does Jesus overcome his uncertainties? And he starts out by simply asking this man, trust me, trust me. And now I know that trust is different for many different people. We come at trust from different backgrounds, right? But one thing that I know about trust across the board is that trust is earned. So I'm going to share a couple stories. You might resonate with one or another. The first story is of a father who takes his son with him out to the, to the back porch. And the son's a little guy, just a, a, you know, a little toddler per se. And, and dad lifts him up and sets him on top of the, uh, the railing on the back porch. And dad says, you wait right there. And dad walks down to the grass underneath him and is standing below his son. He says, jump, I'll catch you, I got you. And, and you know, obviously for a little kid, this is terrifying, right? How am I, I'm going to jump. And he said, no, it's okay, I got you, I will catch you. You'll be all right. And after a few moments of, of encouraging him and coaxing him, the, the little boy you know, conjures up some trust. And, and he, he squats down a little bit as a little boy would, and he, he jumps off this railing. And as he jumps off the railing, this father steps to the side and lets his young son fall to the ground. 
And I know what you're thinking. What a terrible father. And I'd, I'd agree with that. And this is a fake story, so don't worry. This didn't happen to me, and it didn't happen to anybody else that I know. But this father, in this circumstance, reaches down and lifts up his son. And as he's wiping the tears of, off his eyes and the scrapes off his arms, he says, Listen, son, let this be a lesson to you. Never trust anyone. And there are some of you who are watching today that resonate with that. Your experiences in life have taught you to never trust anyone. The second you trust someone, they're going to let you down. They're going to fail you. They are going to let you fall. Don't trust anyone. And I understand that for me to stand here now and say that it is important for us to trust in Jesus, if that is your experience, you're probably asking yourself right now, how in the world am I supposed to trust a God that I can't see? How in the world am I supposed to trust a God that I can't have an audible conversation with? How in the world am I supposed to trust a God that wrote down words in a book thousands of years ago and gave them to me? That's what I'm supposed to trust? How am I supposed to do that? And I would like to encourage you this morning that the words of this very book are reason for it. Because listen, if the words of this book are true, then that changes everything about our perspective on trusting God. If the words in the, the recording of this miracle is true, then that changes the way we trust Jesus' words. And I could give you examples from my own life of how God has called me to trust him and he's proven himself faithful. It doesn't mean that it's always easy. It doesn't mean it's always clear, but it means that God is faithful and he is trustworthy. And so I know it may be difficult, but I'm asking you to simply take Jesus at his word. And now for some of you, you might resonate more with a father who's teaching his kid how to ride a bike. He's got one hand on the, on the handlebar, another hand on his son's back as he's teaching him to ride this bike. And he's walking with him, he's encouraging him, he's teaching him and instructing him, how do you pedal so that you maintain speed? How do you brake so that you don't just run into something? How do you get on and off this bike? How do you balance yourself? And this dad is, is patiently working with his son and, and helping him grow through this process and, and continually instructing him and, and giving him more freedom. And as he learns, he takes his hand off his back. He takes his hand off the handlebar. And that son may still fall, run into a tree that he swears grew legs and walked in front of him. He doesn't know how he ran into it. But Slowly learning to trust in Jesus. Slowly learning to trust that Father. For some of you, trust is much easier. Maybe you've been walking with the Lord for a period of time, and you've seen his faithfulness in your life. And so for me to stand here and say, hey, trust Jesus, take him at his word, it, it's not as challenging for you. Yeah, I can, I can do that. I can take Jesus at his word. Well, no matter which person you are, which person you resonate with here, this is the doubt that Jesus is confronting first and foremost with this official. Listen, will you trust me? Go. Your son is going to live. Your son is going to live. And so as he uh, goes home and uh, he's headed, headed back home to meet his son, as his servants come and they meet him with good news. Listen, your, your son's recovering. Your son's recovering. He's, he's getting better. He's not going to die. He's not going to die. And it's at that moment, as the man asks, what hour was it? And they tell him it was yesterday about one o'clock. He's like, man, that's right when Jesus said he was going to live. 
Jesus is conquering this man's doubt in Jesus' words, teaching him that to believe in Jesus starts by taking him at his word, simply taking him at his word. But he goes on from there. He goes on from there, and Jesus begins to conquer the doubt that this Roman official has in Jesus' power. Let's be honest, this guy likely had come and he had heard uh, stories of this miracle man from Galilee who's performing these signs and wonders, and, and who knows what these were. And he hears them, and he, so he comes likely thinking, who, who is this Jesus guy? But I've heard he can do great stuff, so let me ask him. Let me ask him what's going on, just, just how powerful is he. Now, I, I remember as a kid, uh, when I was at Aurora Christian, and I, I don't remember exactly what grade I was in, but they brought in this group of guys called the Power Team. I don't know if you've ever heard of these people before, but these dudes are big. They're, they're just monsters. They are so strong. And they come in, here we are, little kids, watching these, these grown men as they come in. They're like, listen, we're going to, to snap this, these cinder blocks in half by swinging our hand at them. And you're like, oh my goodness, no way. And these guys, they do, they just, with, with their own hands, crush these cinder blocks. They'd take their foreheads and smash them on bricks of ice that were this thick and just shatter it. And as a kid, you're like, whoa. These dudes are powerful. They're strong, right? And they're, they're ripping phone books in half. And I, I can't wrap my head around that kind of power as a kid. But let me tell you, the power that Jesus is putting on display here is far greater than their power. And that's because those men, those men had to be physically present right there to crush those cinder blocks, to shatter that ice. But Jesus didn't. It's not like they're standing even across the room saying, with my mind, I am going to crush those cinder blocks. No, but Jesus does a, a great act here as he performs a miracle to heal this man's son. Now I want to pause for just a moment and continue to encourage us and ask the honest question, when have we began to doubt the power of God? When have we began to doubt the power of God? You know, it's interesting to me that in today's day and age, when we hear of miraculous events, our first response is immense skepticism. Did God really perform a miracle? Did God really do a great thing? And I understand that some of our doubts come from the false teachers and false evangelists that Tim talked about last week. But it's interesting to me that the very tools that Jesus employed to instill faith, to instill belief in people are the very things that now instill skepticism and doubt in God's people. And Jesus here is going to say, hey, listen, I'm going to perform a magnificent miracle that's going to blow the socks off this guy. And I want to propose two different ways that I believe this Roman official doubted in the extent of Jesus' power. And they can be found in verse 49. Look at verse 49 with me. The official responded to Jesus and he said, Sir, come down before my child dies. Come down before my child dies. The first one here is he said, come down. This man wanted Jesus, believed that Jesus needed to come down to Capernaum with him, to his home, to be physically present with his son in order to heal him. Now that would seem to make sense, right? 
If Jesus is going to do something, he needs to come be present. If the power team is going to crush cinder blocks, they need to be there. It's what people understood of the day. But this man seemed to have this uh, presupposition that Jesus' power was limited by, by his physical proximity. And what Jesus does in performing this miracle is he knocks the socks off that belief. says, listen, my power ex- extends past that beyond what you could possibly imagine. I don't have to be right there to do a mighty work. And I want to encourage us as God's people and for those who may be watching who aren't sure about Jesus yet that in these days as we are uh, put ourselves in uh, self-isolation and we are shelter in place and we're not gathering together, then we need to be reminded and encouraged by stories such as this from God's word that God works from a distance at times. And let me be honest with you, I wouldn't be standing here on this stage preaching in an empty sanctuary if I didn't believe that God could do a work from a distance. And you know what? I'll go farther to say that I don't think you believe that God can't do a work from a distance either because you're watching today. We serve a God that that transcends physical proximity. We serve a God that is far greater than what we could possibly wrap our minds around. And so this man, certainly not understanding the full extent of God's power, Jesus' power says, come to my house. And Jesus says, listen, I'm going to show you something far greater than you could possibly imagine. Go home, your son's going to live. Secondly, in that same sentence, this man says uh, to Jesus, come before my child dies. Come before my child dies. He has this idea, and it's understandable because we struggle with this same mindset in some ways today, to say that once my son dies, you can't help him anymore. There's a certain time frame that you have to perform this miracle within Jesus if you're going to heal my son because if he's dead, then you can't help him and, and he's gone. And this man seemingly didn't understand that Jesus' power was far greater than life itself, that, that Jesus was the author of life and he could lay life down and he could raise it back up again. I'm reminded of when Jesus would raise Lazarus from the grave, conquering, proving his power over death itself. In Luke chapter 7, Jesus would raise the widow's son from the dead. And just later in Luke chapter 8, he would raise Jairus' uh, child from the dead as well. And ultimately, believers, Jesus would lay down his life on the cross. And three days later, he would raise it up from the grave. And so let me encourage you. Our Savior, his power cannot be limited. If we do not believe that Jesus has power even over death itself, then we have no hope. Because as Paul says in 1 Corinthians, if there's no resurrection from the dead, then our hope is in vain, our faith is in vain, and we, above all people, should be pitied. And so, Christian, take hope today that even in the midst of chaos in the world, even in the midst of uncertainties in the world, man, our God, his power transcends all of it. And we cannot even begin to wrap our minds around just how powerful Jesus truly is. 
And this is the beauty of opening the scriptures and seeing these testimonies that have been written down so that we could believe and deepen our faith that Jesus would reveal himself to us as a powerful Savior, a King of kings and a Lord of lords that cannot be limited by anything. Listen, believer, we cannot put our Savior in a box. And in the circumstances where we may do so on accident or unintentionally or just simply out of arrogance or ignorance, Man, God is, is there to blow our socks off. And that doesn't mean that we're going to go around and be seeing miracles all the time in our life. But let me tell you, I think there's a great uh, illustration here as Jesus raises his boy back to health. Later in Jesus' ministry, he would say, who is it that needs a doctor? It's the sick. And Jesus would teach and reveal to those people that he was ministering to and to those of us today who hear it, that we are sick. That sin has penetrated our hearts and has, has tainted our very beings to its core. And Jesus has come not just to heal all the sick physically, but he has come to heal the sick spiritually and to get rid of sin, to wash it clean on the cross. And that he would be, when he raised himself to life on the third day, he gave life spiritually to those who had placed their trust in Jesus Christ. And that is a miracle to celebrate. That is a miracle to rejoice in. That Jesus has overcome the grave and given us victory as well over our sins. See, had Jesus gone down to that man's house with him, and he, had he had traveled to Capernaum with this official and healed his son there, Jesus never would have uh, confronted this man's doubts in his physical proximity. He never would have confronted this man's doubts that Jesus could perform mighty works even from a distance. See, long-distance miracles, they weren't a very common thing in the Old Testament or in the Greco-Roman world. And, and so for this to take place, the, the ancient witnesses and readers of this text even would come to an understanding right away that the person performing these miracles had extraordinary power. So when this official goes home, and he meets his son who's recovering and, and re being restored to health. I believe, man, he is convinced without a shadow of a doubt that Jesus has power that he can't even wrap his mind around. Jesus has confronted this doubt and taught this man that believing in Jesus expands our view of his power. Lastly, Jesus conquers another doubt in this man's life. The doubt of who Jesus really is, the doubt of Jesus' person. And he teaches this man that believing in Jesus is to trust in who he is. It's to trust in who he is. That Jesus is the Son of God. See, last week at the end of uh, the first miracle in Cana, Jesus' disciples believed in him. And in verse 53 of our text this morning, this man himself believed and all his household. What an amazing thing to see the testimony of Jesus' ministry, to be convinced of who Jesus was, the Son of God. As John tells us in John chapter 20, that he wrote these down that we may believe that Jesus is the Son of God. What a testimony. And what a, what a firm conviction that as we study these very passages today, God is still convincing people. 
See, it started with this man, and, and he was added to the number of those who believed, and then his household was added, and throughout all the centuries that followed, how many more people have been added that says they believed in him? They believed in Jesus. And you know, it kind of reminds me of one of my favorite Christmas movies growing up as a kid. And you can, you can make fun of me for this if you want to. It's fine. I, I got tough skin. But my, one of my favorite Christmas movies was The Santa Claus. And in The Santa Claus, Scott Calvin finds himself on Christmas Eve with his son. And Santa is up on his roof. And so he goes out and says, well, what are you doing? And scares Santa and he falls off and is laying there in his yard. And, and through some events, Scott Calvin becomes the next Santa Claus. You know, he had been divorced from his wife and is trying to convince his ex-wife and her new husband that he is Santa. And they think he's crazy. They think he's lost his mind. And it isn't until late in the movie, and listen, I, I'm going to be honest with you guys, I, I apologize for the spoiler alert, so you can mute this right now if you want to, but this movie came out in 1994. So if you've not watched it yet, that's on you. But near the end of this movie, this, this other man, his name is Neil, and Scott Calvin, Santa Claus, gives him a weenie whistle for Christmas. And as a kid, Neil desperately wanted a weenie whistle. And he had asked Santa for it and never gotten it. But it was when he received that gift, he became convinced that Scott Calvin really was Santa Claus. And in the movie, he looks up and says, Santa Claus? It really is you. What an opportunity is as Jesus performs miraculous things. And I want to be careful because, listen, I don't want to compare Jesus to Santa Claus. Jesus is far greater than Santa Claus. He's the king of kings. He's the savior of the world. It's by his very word that everything came into existence. Jesus is far greater than Santa Claus. But Jesus is in the business of opening people's eyes and revealing to them just who it is that he is. The Son of God, the Messiah, the promised Savior that the world has been waiting for. And you know the great thing? He started it back here and, and intentionally convinced this man and his household that he was the Son of God. And he's doing it today. Think of your own testimony what was it that convinced you that Jesus was the Son of God? What was it that Jesus was doing at work in your life that convinced you that he truly was the Savior, that he really was legit? See, Jesus is so magnificent. The book of Hebrews tells us that he is the radiance of the glory of God, the exact imprint of God's nature. Now that is something to celebrate. That is something to behold. That is something that should cause awe and wonder in our hearts and in our minds, that as we look upon Jesus, we see the very nature of God lived out. How amazing is that, that we've been given that? What a gift and a blessing. And now I know there are people who may be watching today who have received Jesus without believing in who he is. Maybe you've received him because of the, the excitement that he can bring to life. You've received him because of the blessings that come with being around his people. But I want to ask each and every one of you today, have you believed in who Jesus is and my prayer is that you would take time and take stock of where you are at and how you can answer that question today. Have you received Jesus without believing in who he is? Has Jesus convinced you that he is the Son of God? That he is the risen Savior? 
Earlier I said that there were parallel threads taking place in this very story. You had the miraculous healing of the son. That's the, the exciting part that we were drawn to. Our attention focuses on that. And then there's the quiet behind the scenes uh, cultivation of the faith and belief of this father. And listen, many of us, we long to have the experience of the son in this story. We want to experience the miraculous. We want to see God's power on display here. And so we long for this. And sometimes, if we're honest, we can ignore the other side. As a, a high school student, I had grown up going to Aurora Christian. My family worked there. Listen, my Aurora Christian was my life. I was comfortable there. My friends were there. My reputation was there. I I was doing well. I had Bible class and chapel I was going to. Man, I, I received the Christian Character Award. I couldn't tell you how many years. But it wasn't until the end of my sophomore year when my family was leaving ACS and God kind of took all of those things out from underneath me that I had began to put so much confidence in. And he transplanted our family out to Newark and he said, hey, listen, this is where I'm calling you to. And I'm going to be honest with you guys and, and you could call it petty or, or you know, a weak perspective and, and listen, have grace. I was in high school. But I struggled with that transition. That was really hard for me. And I was angry with God. I was angry with my parents. How could you make my life so miserable when I have everything going for me right now? And I wrestled with God on that for a, for a number of months. And finally, as God began to soften my heart and to reveal to me uh, what he was doing and, and bring me around to his will in the process, man, I started to see what he was doing. And the first thing, let me tell you, was that he was drawing me to himself. I remember clearly sitting in my room one night thinking, man, if, I, if I'm really serious about loving Jesus, that, that's got to mean something now. I'm not going to have Bible class where they force me to study the Bible. I'm not going to have chapel where I'm, I'm forced to be in, in worship and the study of God's word with other believers on a regular basis. So man, if I'm going to follow Jesus, now it's, got to, it's going to cost something. This has got to be real. And I would say it was during that time of my life. Now listen, I had grown up in a Christian family. I grew up with all the answers. But it was in that time of life that Jesus got a hold of my heart. And he made it clear to me who he was, that he was worthy of my trust, that he was the savior that I've been looking for, that it was him who I needed to place my confidence in, not my basketball career, not my academics, not my reputation, but Jesus alone. And I can tell you with absolute confidence right now that if that is the only good that came out of that whole situation, I could stand here and praise the name of Jesus for it until the day I die. Because Jesus changed my life in that experience. And what was to me a desperate situation, a crisis, a dead end to what I believed was life as I knew it, man, Jesus had other plans as a, a divine opportunity. And I can say that God has gone on and brought many more blessings through that. I don't believe I'd be standing here right now. I don't believe that I would be the man I am today if God didn't carry me through that. I've gone on to meet many of you. I've met my wife through that transition. And man, God really got a hold of my life and I praise him for it. 
And I want to take a moment and just make it clear that just because we may follow Jesus, just because we may uh, take him at his word, we may expand our view of his power, we may believe in who he is, it doesn't mean that things are always going to be easy. It doesn't mean that things are going to fall into line. It may be difficult at times. It may be really challenging at times. I imagine it was difficult for this father to leave Jesus' presence and trust him to go home to find his son. But I can tell you the most rewarding thing and the thing that is of the most glory to God is when a sinner repents and places their trust in Jesus Christ. And that's why I can say with confidence that I would praise Jesus till the day I die. You know, the scriptures tell us that when a sinner repents, there's a celebration that takes place in heaven. And that's pretty cool. Now, it doesn't say when Jesus performs a number of miracles, there's celebrations. But when a sinner repents, there's something exciting about a lost soul being found. And so, at this time, I hope that you're encouraged as we have looked at this miracle and, and examined it and said, what is it that Jesus was doing here? What, was he, what work was he doing? Yes, he's healing the son, and yes, he's also uh, cultivating the faith of this father and this household that they would believe And there is a celebration of that fact. So be encouraged today. If you have found salvation in the Lord, celebrate that. What a miracle. What a a wonderful thing. If you're still looking for Jesus, man, I, I hope you would take seriously the words in the Bible, the testimony in this passage that says that Jesus is the Son of God. So I want to close with a couple of practical takeaways for you. Just as we end today. First, treat Jesus like he's the son of God, not just a genie. It can be really easy for us to leave Jesus off on the side of our lives until something tragic happens and we, we're facing a crisis and then we, we go running to him and we, we pick up our little genie that's Jesus and say, fix my problems. I'm desperate. And I want to encourage you to treat Jesus not like he's a genie to put off on the side when it's convenient, but to treat him like the Son of God, that you would worship him, that we would submit to him, that we would trust him, that we would lift his name high because he deserves it. He is worthy. He alone is worthy of our praise. So treat Jesus like the Son of God. Secondly, trust Jesus in the good times and in the bad. Trust him in the good times and the bad. Don't wait till life falls apart to turn to Jesus. Praise his name. Enjoy the fellowship that we have with our Savior even now. And maybe you're going through an incredibly difficult time. Lean in on our Savior. He is compassionate. He understands the troubles that you're going through. Let him care for you. Let him comfort you. Seek him out. But trust in him in the good times and the bad. Next, Take the word of God seriously. Now this is something that it's easy to say and sometimes it's a lot harder to do, especially when it doesn't really jive with what we're feeling in the moment. But when God tells us something, he doesn't mean it as suggestions. He doesn't think it's just some uh, off-the-wall kind of idea. What God has said in his word is truth and he means it. So believer, that is a great thing to put stock in. That in the difficulties of life, man, here is a foundation where God has spoken to us and we can take a stock in what he has said. We can take confidence in what he has said. We can lean on what he has said and trust him. There are great promises in this book that he has given to us that can encourage us and carry us through. Take the word of God seriously. And lastly, teach others about Jesus. 
Teach others about Jesus. I, I love this. You know, the scriptures don't go into it in detail, but this man went home, and this, in verse 53 it says that he believed in all his household. Listen, I cannot imagine for a second that he went home and didn't find his son healing or restored to health and give him a big old hug and say, man, he did it. He did it. Jesus really did it. He healed you. Look at you. And to share that hope and that good news with everybody else in his household. Listen, this Jesus guy is the real deal. He's not just some miracle guy. He's not a fraud. He's the Son of God. He's the Messiah. And if that is something that you have come to know and believe and understand, share that with somebody. Share that with somebody. Tell someone about your hope that you found in Jesus Christ. As a church, we want to start a a new initiative together. And we're going to call it Take Five. We're going to call it Take Five. And, And simply what that means is we want to encourage everybody who's a part of Village Bible Church to jot down five different names of people that you know who don't know the Lord as their Savior yet. And we want to encourage us as a church to take simply five minutes a day and pray for those people by name. Pray for their salvation. That God would give you even opportunities to share the gospel message with them. That he would open their hearts to the truth. Pray for their well-being. That God would be working in their lives. That he would uh, be giving them blessings even. Pray that God would draw them closer to, the, to himself. And lastly, pray for their connection with the church. Now that might mean, you know, you're inviting them to be a part of our Sunday services. You can invite them to be part of your small group. You can invite people to come be part of our Discover Jesus classes. But we want to connect people to the church because, man, this is, we are God's people. And, and God has called us to care for one another, to do life with one another. And I know that looks different right now, but that doesn't mean that God has stopped. God's still doing a great work. So will you join me in this Take 5 initiative this week? Jot down five names that you can be praying for. And then take time each day and and bring them before the Lord. And ask that God, like he's done with this official and his family, would reveal to them who he is. That he would open their hearts to the truth of the gospel. That they too might be saved. Listen, this miracle is all about believing. It's all about this man believing in who Jesus was. So let me present this to you today. Let God be cultivating a heart of belief in you. This man wasn't conquering these doubts on his own. Jesus was the one doing that. Turn to Jesus and ask that he would help you through your doubts that he would continue to develop and cultivate your faith, that he would be the object of our faith, that Jesus wouldn't be a means to the miraculous, but that we would continue to see the miraculous as a means to Jesus, that Jesus would be our hope, that Jesus would be our joy, that Jesus would be what we celebrate.